Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am here in Studio A in front of a live studio audience with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. It's great to be here. And so that's right, folks. Today we are in front of a live studio audience. We have a a special guest today. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, special guest? Hi, I'm Kristen Cabrera. I'm 10 years old, and I'm Ryan Cabrera's son. There you go. Look at that. And he's out of school. He is. He is. Today, Perfect shot. We were supposed to have a hurricane coming, and uh, we, uh, we didn't have a hurricane come. Um, no, thank God. No, praise the Lord. I've exactly had enough right. of wind and rain. Well, if you've been paying attention to the podcast or you've been a member of Beit Tehillah for any length of time, then you know that Pastor Nick's had a few uh, issues with trees falling uh, on and about his house. And yeah. uh, I think we're, we're pretty much done with that, huh? We are finished. Right. So um, last week, if you were listening to the podcast, you probably thought that we had too much coffee, and it's probably because we were loading up on our coffee because at this point, we're on the Daniel Fast, and uh, for those of you that are joining us, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you fasting with us in solidarity uh, for the land of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. That's right, for the city of Jerusalem and for the people of Israel. That's right, for the people That's of right, Israel. the two things. And Daniel uh, chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Boom, look at you. You're like a savant with those verses, I tell you. Right. And so uh, we also have, uh, coming up on Monday night, uh, a special guest, Mr. Daron Kedar from Cry for Zion Ministries. That's September 9th. We should be live streaming that service. It starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you wanted to catch that service, um, you uh, could probably live stream it on our website or any of our social media platforms. Uh, But also, like I said, it's on September 9th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Mr. Daron Kedar. He's uh, been here before. He's an awesome guest to have. Uh, Lots of good information about what's going on, specifically with the Temple Mount. His organization is doing a lot of work uh, trying to help restore the sovereignty over the Temple Mount and also for prayer for Jews and Christians on the Temple Mount. So it's, I mean, just an awesome, awesome ministry that he has over there. So without further ado, we are going to jump into the Torah portion today. It is Shoftim, or Judges. And it can be found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16 and verse 18, and ending in 21 and verse 9. All right, are we ready to go? Oh, we, we are ready. Shuf team judges, that's right. Once again, Deuteronomy 16, 18 to 21, verse 9. Uh, here we have an example of uh, the legal system in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 22. Ryan's going to read that. Once again, we're going to look into some legal system here. That's right. All right. So chapter 16, verses 18 through 22. And I have it on this page. Here it is. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in, any, in, in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. That that which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God, which thou shalt make thee. Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. All right. So right out of the gate, we have two types of people 
that will be found at all the gates in Israel. They are, of course, judges and officers. Uh, I have here a great example of Boaz, uh, of course, uh, coming to the gate of the city here. It says in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. So once again, uh, this is taking place at the gate. Don't have time to give you the address or look it up. But once again, Lot was at the entrance of the gate. It's a prominent position. It's very interesting that Lot was at the gate of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so once again, uh, it's, a, it's a prominent position, position of authority. And so that's what uh, Lot had actually done. Uh, it actually says in the New Testament that Lot was tormented. You know, he, he was righteous, but he was tormented. And I guess he put himself in some situations that brought torment, you know. Yeah. Sometimes we can do it to ourselves, you know, but we can still be righteous. But we put ourselves in difficult situations because we don't use wisdom or discernment. And uh, we don't use counsel. And therefore, we get in a situation or circumstance that's not advantageous. So so once again, uh, it's important that we have the gates. It's, it's, a, it's a place of influence. Matter of fact, it even says in Psalm 127 that our children will speak to the enemies at the gates. It means that they will control the gates our righteous children. Uh, and so that's in Psalm 127. So once again, the gates are uh, a place of influence, a place of coming in and going out. Uh, just like in the tabernacle, there's only one way in and one way out. It's the east entrance. Uh, and so we have here, as we move on into this uh, judges and officers, it says in uh, Deuteronomy 16, 19, thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. So, once again, you know, you just can't, uh, you know, do certain things, you know, it's like here at the church, you know, we have to bid things out, get, get the best price and everything, you know, we can't just give it to our friends or this or that, you know, it's, it's the same concept, uh, but even in the government, you know, why, why are some of the governments, Ryan, in the world today favoring certain people and taking gifts? Uh, well, I mean, for, for one, they're corrupt, um, but second, I mean, I think the, the motive is greed. It's the, the desire to just gather things for no reason. Um, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily need these gifts. They don't need these things. Um, they're already well taken care of if they're in high positions in the government. But yet, for some reason, uh, they're willing to uh, put their, their soul on the line for, for gifts, you know, and for, for bribes. Um, you know, I think it's, it's important to understand this concept— you know, right here, it says it very well. It says, For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. It, it is what it is. If, if you're in those positions of power, then when you accept uh, gifts and then provide some sort of favor on their behalf, whether or not you actually provided the favor, it is... It's, it's you've already lost the reproach, right? You're already not above reproach. And so it's, it's somebody can point at you and say, hey, see, you took this gift, even if you didn't necessarily rule in their favor or give them some special, special you know, favor or anything like that. It's interesting, you know, and, and if we go back to Moses and the, and the situation with Korah, uh, he says right here in Numbers 16, uh, 15, and Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, neither have I hurt one of them. So see, he doesn't have some special interest there. I have not taken one donkey from them, 
neither have I hurt one of them. And of course, we know that uh, there were two gentlemen that refused to come up to Moses, which was Dathan and Abiram. Uh, and of course, they were from the tribe of Reuben. Uh, so once again, we have a conspiracy going on here. But once again, we have to realize that, you know, there's a lot of bribery going on. Uh, I was actually talking to somebody uh, that's a missionary uh, in a certain country, and I won't give the country's name or the person, but they were actually saying in order for them to bring in stuff or, you know, um, like sound equipment or things for missionaries or things for churches, that they literally have to go through customs and pay a little little bit of cash on the side there. To, but they understand that that's the only way it works. So it's like their own little you know, system within, you know, customs there, uh, from the top down. Right. And it's understood. It's like the unwritten rules of baseball or something, you know, it's like, this is just the way it works and you need to figure it out. Yeah. So he's like, Hey, for, you know, for, for 20 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Whatever. So whatever. I mean, I don't, keep I don't know the exact amount. Keep, Maybe keep it's a hundred dollars. I don't know. It's not a lot of, it's not a lot, but I was like, wow, that, that goes on everywhere. Yeah. I mean, even in the country and you're going through customs, you know, imagine that. And, and, and if you're constantly going through customs in that particular country, you know that that's the system. Yeah. So you have a choice. You can buck the system and then they can take all your assets and take all your merchandise and put it in a locker or put it in the storage. Or you can just pay and, and then get it released, you know. And there's I mean, and sometimes going through customs can be a big pain. Um, I, uh, I know a guy that does uh, he's an antique dealer. And he's bringing stuff in from Japan, and it gets stuck in customs. It got stuck in for three years. He lost over a million dollars because of the time that he lost um, in in having those goods that were supposed to be uh, a certain value that they lost their value within that time because the political climate had changed. So what he could have made on those items, he ended up losing on it all because it was stuck in customs. So that kind of stuff really happens. That's a practical example of how how grease in the skids, you know what I mean, is is a problem. It's, it's everywhere, you know, and of course, you know, we have to understand that, you know, God is not into bribery or, or any of these things, you know, the Bible speaks against it. Uh, and so that way, you know, when you render a decision, you don't have a conflict of interest, you know, uh, which is very interesting, a conflict of interest. So as we get into Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses one through seven, Ryan's going to read about idolatry. So now we're going to go into idolatry. We go from the legal system to idolatry. Uh, don't have idols. So it's important that you have a good government, good judges, good, good elders and everything, you know, and, and that's who were, of course, at the gate for Boaz. And so uh, once again, we have this uh, judges and officers, and now we're moving into uh, idolatry. All right, here we go. Chapter 17, verses one through seven. Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God any bullock or sheep wherein is blemish, or any evil favoredness, for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. If there be found among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it be told thee, and thou hast heard it, heard of it, and inquire diligently, and behold, it be true, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman, which have committed that wicked thing, unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shalt stone them with stones till they die. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people 
so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. Wow. So here we go. So, the, of course, if we look at Deuteronomy 17, 1, the children of Israel could not sacrifice a bullock or a sheep to the Lord that had a blemish. You know, you have to bring your best. Uh, I would even say that today, you know, when we say, well, I'm coming to service or I'm coming to serve, you know, bring your A game, bring your best, you know, and that's what we really, really want to do. Uh, every time we meet and come together, we don't have to have a, a sacrifice, but a sacrifice of praise. So as we come in, we want to give our best. And so that's what I always look at. What's my best offering for today? Did I give my best, you know, because what happens is, you know, uh, we find out years later, the priesthood becomes corrupt and everything else so bad that John the Baptist had to actually uh, preach outside the temple, you know. And so what we're seeing, even within our own institutions today, is a lot of corruption and, and, and the church trying to be like the world to draw people in. And there's no distinction, you know, there's no distinction between the church and the world, you know. And so we need to have that distinction. We need to have uh, God's teachings and instructions, and we need to call out sin for what it is and, and repent and all these things and bring back holiness, you know, bring back holiness uh, to God's children, you know, because this world uh, is really dirty and it's really corrupt. Uh, and the prince of this world has blinded the minds of those to receive the gospel. And so as we move into this, we know the sacrifices are important, but also we have, of course, uh, the punishment for idolatry is to be stoned to death, uh, to be stoned to death. So that's pretty severe. Idolatry is pretty severe. It's one of the commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, you know, because what happens is, and I, I really picked up on this in some of the research that people were doing, you know, when you, when you worship to other gods, you're actually worshiping to demons. And they love that. They thrive on that, you know, because, oh, look, they're not giving to God and they're not following the instructions. They're making many altars throughout the land. They're doing this and they're doing that. Oh, this is the greatest thing. And they're not getting back to the original plan that God had of having where, you know, his name is having one altar. So very interesting. And so we have to have two or three witnesses were required to put someone to death. Two or three witnesses were required to put someone to death. And of course, the witnesses were responsible for throwing the first stone at the guilty party. Boy, that, that changes You better have a good it, conscience. Huh? Yeah. I hope you're having a good day because, you know, if you don't, you know, it's kind of interesting because we know the story of Yeshua and the woman caught in the act of adultery. And by the way, they didn't bring the man into the picture. They only brought the woman. So where was the man? So, uh, you know, what did Yeshua say? Hey, whoever, whoever hasn't sinned, let him throw that first stone. Yeah. And so uh, we see where, you know, the older ones dropped the stones first, the older elders, and then the younger ones did, you know, because the older ones knew, hey, I've been living a long time. I got a few mistakes. Yeah. I got a few sins up my sleeve here. But like I said, you know, uh, and then what did Yeshua say? Hey, where are your accusers? Then he said, go and sin no more. So I love how God, you know, uses the, the son of God in this example about, you know, throwing that first stone, you know, he, he really put it to rest there. And I'm sure that woman was very appreciative. And so as we're developing the story with the, the difficult matters that required judgment were taken to the priest, the Levites and the judge. Once again, the difficult matters that required judgment were taken to the priests, Levites and the judge. So once again, you do have judges and officers and elders, but these difficult matters you know, were taken, of course, to the priest, the Levites, and, and the judge. So there was like some kind of a upper echelon there, somebody that was over the other judges or whatever. We can even see this played out in the book of Judges. Someone was designated as the judge or the person at that time to lead the people over their enemies. So as we move into this, we know that we talk about the, the legal system. We talk about, of course, 
as we develop this particular Torah portion, we see about, you know, not taking bribes and having no respect of persons, right? And we move right into don't have idolatry and, and all of that. And so uh, we move into Deuteronomy 17, 14. The, the title given to the person who would rule over Israel would be king. That's right. Melech. King. And the king was not allowed to multiply horses and wives. And the king was to write a copy of the law and have it to read at all times. I find this interesting that he allows them to have a king within the Torah. If you're going to have a king, this is the requirement. Now, as we develop this story from the judges to the monarchy, it's fascinating that King Solomon, of course, violated, I believe, both of these. Yeah, so, for sure. Once again, he multiplied his wives and his horses. You know, uh, I think there's a psalm that says some may trust in chariots and oh, horses, right. but I will trust in the name of the Lord. Uh, so, you know, Solomon, King Solomon, actually, in, in Mark Biltz's book, Decoding the Antichrist, a little plug there for some of you, if you want a really good resource, Decoding the Antichrist uh, by uh, Pastor Mark Biltz, kind of lays out some very interesting things about King Solomon. You know, one of the things he points out is that because he had all of these wives, you know, it led him astray. Right. You know, it led him astray to worship other gods and to fall away. Uh, it's quite evident. Yes, he was the wisest man. And there's a lot of interesting things about Solomon. But uh, his affairs didn't end well. You know, uh, he didn't end well. He started well, but didn't end well. Matter of fact, the Lord came to him twice and tried to remind him and rebuke him and, you know, give him some some guidance. And he kind of just, you know, rebuttaled that. And, and even in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is read during the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, it's all about vanity. He says vanity. It's, hey, when I die, somebody's getting all my stuff. You know, yeah. I've eaten, I've drunk, I've... You know, I've done all these things, and it's all vanity. Yeah. And at the very end of the book, and I'm not reading it per se, but I know what it says. Solomon basically says, The conclusion of the matter. Fear God, yep. keep his commandments. Wow. That is the most awesome thing. Fear God, keep his commandments. <clears throat> that, my friend, is not vanity. Absolutely. You know, and so what's funny, too, is, is you know, referencing this this um, command from Deuteronomy 17, uh, 18 and 19, where the the king was required to have written his own copy of the law and then to have it at, you know available to him at all times. And I believe that once a year he read it aloud to the people. Was that at Tabernacles or? The, yeah, it was read at Tabernacles. So I, I'm sitting and I'm having uh, some conversations with some of my, my good, you know, I, I like to say, you know, what is it, regular Christian friends, folks that are not necessarily into the Hebrew roots, don't have a Hebrew roots bend. Oh, yeah, the evangelicals. Right, 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 exactly. And, um, you know, we're we're going through some stuff and—, and Sometimes they'll they'll challenge me on the idea of the relevance of Torah to the to the Christian walk, right? And meaning the way that we look at it. Obviously, I think they they realize there's some relevance to it. And so I read to them one day. You know, um, you know one of the things that that comes up a lot is is how the Torah is bondage and how we're no longer under that bondage anymore. We don't have to keep the the commandments because we're not bound by that anymore. And I always hear these these phraseologies about bondage and and you know we know that the the bondage is to sin, right? It's it's to the things that battle within us. Our flesh is is what we're bound to. Uh and and the commandments of God are just what show us exactly how bad it is. But the commandment is good and righteous and holy, just like Paul says. And so I was reading to them one day, trying to give them just a different perspective. A Psalm of David, this is Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey 
and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And so to me, none of that sounds like bondage, right? That sounds like we're rejoicing that right. our Father has given us teachings and instructions. And so here was the comment, right? The comment that I got after reading that was, hey, that's, that's, when he says the law, I mean, he's not, he's talking about, you know, he's, he's not talking about the Torah. And I was like, like Leviticus, he's not talking about Leviticus. And I'm like, I just wanted to die laughing because I'm thinking, listen, I know that this is David, right? And David is like, I mean, if there's a Jew that's ever been Jewish, like a real Jew, like, I mean, we're talking strong right. Jewish identity. I would say King David would be, uh, other than Yeshua, the ultimate example of right. that. Right, he's a prophet, priest, and king, just like Yeshua. Right. So, an example. Exactly, an example. And so uh, the fact that the idea, just knowing this command, right, that King David would have not only had it available to him, but he would have written his own Torah scroll and have had it available to him That's at, right. at all times, just shows me that, that King David, and I was almost offended, right? I mean, I know that people who have have kind of twisted Yeshua into like the Roman Jesus with the toga and all those things. But it never occurred to me that somebody would look at King David and kind of strip away his Jewishness and not think of him as the King, King Jew. I don't know. I mean, it just never occurred to me, you know? Oh, I mean, it's interesting, Ryan, because as this is all developing, you know, uh, even when it comes to leadership and organization, you can really see some interesting points that are made in Deuteronomy, which is, of course, a book of remembrance. Uh, as we go into uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, we have the priests and the Levites' shares. What are their shares? Well, the Levites' inheritance was the Lord, you know. That was their inheritance. The priesthood is an inheritance, you know. Uh, and so the Levites were to stand and minister to the people in the name of the Lord. You know, th that's the thing that we need to understand. And, of course, uh, you know, it's important because why? You know, you should be able to go to the clergy or to the church leadership with your problems uh, and, and, and you know, find one that you're comfortable with. Go, you know, make an appointment with the pastor. You know, I mean, that's what he's there for. He's there to help you, to, to guide you, to pray for you, to believe in you. You know, he's got your best interest in mind. And what's happened is uh, we become judgmental or have vain imaginations. Or I've had people tell me, you know, Pastor Nick, I wanted to get with you, but I know you're a busy man. I said, I'm here for you. So... Maybe you're too busy to get with me, but I'm here for you. Let's set up an appointment. Come visit me, you know, and I've never turned anybody down from an appointment because it's so important. You know, uh, as we look at this, I want to share with you once again that we know that we can see where the priesthood goes bad in the time of uh, Eli and his sons. Uh, before, of course, there's the monarchy. We have, of course, Eli is the the, the priest there and, and, and uh, Shiloh. And of course, he falls off the back of his seat and breaks his neck and uh, his two sons are killed in battle when the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant and everything like that. But the priesthood was corrupt. It wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. And so, you know, uh, even, even you know, Samuel was being groomed as a prophet, uh, as a judge, and uh, God was speaking to him. And so, you know, little Samuel was a little boy and he runs to Eli and says, you know, did you call me? Did you call me? Do you know, and, and uh, Eli figured it out that God was actually speaking to the little boy, to, to speaking to Samuel himself. And Eli was so far from God that he said, hey, listen, son, tell me what he says. Because he wasn't hearing from God anymore. Wow. So out of the mouth of babes, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know we got a little bit of time here. I just want to share with you some interesting points on the priesthood, why it was so important, what happened, how they lost their integrity. We can see that even today. But here, here's what it says here. It says this in, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 4. I want to read these verses so you understand what the priesthood is supposed to look like. And you shall, it says here, uh, 
and you shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Wow. They're supposed to teach Torah. Look what's happened. They didn't fear him, and they quit teaching it, and they did their own thing. Look at this. It says here, Have we not all one Father? Have, hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? And it goes in to talk about he's going to take away their reputation. So once again, you know, what are we seeing today? What are we seeing today? You know, when, when the king was corrupt and the priesthood was corrupt, then God's got to raise up the prophets. And, and what I believe we're seeing in, in the earth today, and this is just my observation, is that there's a lot of false prophets that are supposed to come. And I know they're here in the earth now. They're already prophesying falsely. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. Let's get into the written prophets. Read the half Torahs when it comes to the Torah portion, especially right now in the book of Deuteronomy. I believe the Lord is speaking to us through his prophets. And once you hear what those prophets had to say, they projected all the way into the future what would happen and what would be. And so once again, Ryan, it, it plays off one thing after another. I mean, this is just something that I've just noticed. So let's think about it. So the Levites were to stand and minister to the people in the name of the Lord. So what happens if you turn that verse around and say, well, the Levites did not stand to minister to the people in the name of the Lord, but for themselves, and they actually corrupted the Torah or created man's commands, or they just wanted the comfortable life. Well, check this out. Following on the heels of this in Deuteronomy 18, verses 10, 11, check this out. This is where it gets to be very interesting. The following eight things were considered as abominations to the Lord. One that makes his children to pass through the fire divinations, enchanters, witches, charmers, consulter of familiar spirits, wizards, and necromancers. You know, uh, think about it. I mean, this is interesting. And I, and I want to just make a little point here because I, th I thought it was very, very interesting uh, in regards to some of these things. So once again, what happens is if you don't have Torah, okay, the occult comes in. Because now it's a free-for-all. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know what I think? You, 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 know what, you know what I think? I mean, and that's the problem we're having right now. I mean, that's, that's one of the major, major problems that we're having right now. I was just looking over something here. Let's see here. Uh, something very good here, uh, which is something I actually put down as a little bit of a reference. I was just trying to figure it out, you know, and some of you might know this or understand this. Let's see if I can find it here. Find it somewhere. But anyway, think about it, everybody. If you're not into Torah and the teachings and instructions of God or following his commandments, then where are you? What are you yeah. doing? Yeah, and so, you know, it's cool. I read this verse in uh, chapter 18, 15. Um, and, and, and actually, I'll start it at, um, I'll start at 14. It says, For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. So I found that um, 
just just you know sometimes you got to go and read the verses themselves because it was pretty cool to uh, to see it. And then it goes on in sixteen. It says, "According to all that thou desiredest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more. That I die not." And the Lord said unto me, "They have uh, well spoken that which." Uh, they have spoken. And so there's certain people that were raised up in order to hear directly from God in order to disseminate that. Now, contrast that with today, obviously the Holy Spirit um, and whatnot, uh, being able to hear from God through the Holy Spirit, through the, the, the unctions and, the, and the, the urges of the Holy Spirit, I think is a, uh, a, a new way, right? Jesus said that I should go. It is good that I go because uh, the comforter will come. You'll, you'll get the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the helper. You know, as we develop this, I guess we understand that at a set time Yeshua would come. And if you want to read, uh, which is very interesting, once again, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Deuteronomy 18, 18. Well, who's the prophet that fulfilled this prophecy, Ryan? Uh, well, if you bump over to Acts chapter 3, uh, 22 through 26... Um, We're going to find out who this person is. We are going to find out who this person is. So it's actually kind of a repeat uh, here of these verses. But it says, For Moses uh, truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you from uh, of your brethren, uh, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thee, uh, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, unto you first, God having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So every prophet from Samuel to Malachi was pointing to the great prophet Yeshua because he, he is God. That's right. He's a, he's a prophet, priest, and a king. So once That's again, right. there you have it. Wow, Yeshua, Jesus in the Torah, in the Old Testament. We just found him. That's awesome. Boom. Now, there were three cities of refuge on the west side of the Jordan River. And uh, you could not live in a city of refuge if you were found guilty of murder. Once again, you could not... Live in a city of refuge if you were found guilty of murder. Uh, there's three cities of refuge on the left side of the banks of the Jordan River and on the right side, three cities of refuge. And I do believe the, uh, the Golan is one of the cities of refuge. It's an area that I'm really familiar with that I love very dearly. Yeah. It's dear to my heart. The Golan. That north. I can make it a refuge. North of refuge. East side of the Galilee there. Yeah. I mean, think about it. So, you know, as we develop this, this, this storyline, these bullet points, there, it really sends a, a really big message, you know. And uh, you are, of course, not uh, to remove a neighbor's landmark. You are not to remove it uh, in reference to a neighbor's landmark. You are not to remove it. You know, it's like a boundary. You know, and God sets up boundaries for us as well. And then it goes back to kind of repeat itself. You know, in regards to idolatry, you had to have two or three witnesses in regards to idolatry to stone someone to death. But what about just regular matters? Well, um, there was two or three witnesses were needed to establish a matter. Okay. So two or three witnesses were needed to establish a matter. And now we're, that's chapter 19. Um, let's move into, uh, this is a very interesting subject matter that came up uh, quite a lot last night. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, how to wage war. We're just going to go over this quickly here. But uh, 
here's the question. Who was to come out to the children of Israel and encourage them before they went to battle? Uh, this is going to be the priest, interestingly The enough. priest. They send the priest out, the worshipers. Remember that? The, the worshipers, the priest. And, yep. and so they would go out uh, before battle. And, of course, you know, when you're dealing with battle, we have uh, found in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 5 through 8. Here we have four circumstances that would exempt someone from going to battle. Four examples uh, that would exempt them from going to battle. Number one, a man who has built a new house and not lived in it. What's the point, right? Yeah. God wants you to enjoy that house. Uh, number two, a man who has planted a vineyard and not eaten of it. So, wow, he could probably, it takes, what, five two, years, two yeah. years, two or three years to actually get grapes, I think. Right, well, and, and you won't even get, it's not even his harvest until the fifth year. So, gosh, he's going to be exempt for quite a few years yeah. there. Maybe you should go with the old vineyard, <laughs> you know? That's if you didn't want to go to battle. I mean, what do they call that when you avoid serving? Uh, draft dodging. Draft dodger. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, uh, a man who is betrothed to a wife and not yet married. Mm-hmm. See, he, he hasn't enjoyed his wife, you know? And so uh, it actually says he's not to work or do anything for a year after they're married. Right. So even then he's got an extension. Right. Wow. Yeah. This is good. Let's just drag that betrothal out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> No, don't do that. So non-committal. No, don't do that. <laughs> uh, last but not least, this makes sense. Uh, who would be exempt from someone going to battle? Number four, a man who is fearful and faint-hearted. Yeah, you know, it's you interesting. Know, it just comes up all the time. It People does. are just fearful. Well, in 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 this culture, honor and shame were were a big deal, right? So when the it's a cultural construct, and if you understand on honor and shame, I um, mean, there's some good teachings out there on it, but. Uh, I don't think, you know, we put this in here, right? Those who are fearful and, and faint-hearted. Uh, I don't know that um, that was as common as we would think, because if you didn't want to go, you didn't have to go, right? I mean, this was right. al- almost makes it a volunteer army at this point, you know? Well, you're um, definitely having a vetting process. For sure. But but here, if you have a way out by just being fearful and faint-hearted, but, I mean, you wouldn't want to take that out if, if you're fighting in God's army. Wouldn't you want to go you and know, do the business of the Lord? You know, God's perfect love will always cast out a spirit of fear. Amen. Spirit of fear will always have to leave with God's perfect love. His perfect love will always cast out fear because you'll know that you're, you're in His hand and no one can take you out of His hand. It goes back to Segula. You're the peculiar treasure. You're, you're the treasure in His hand. He doesn't worry you around His neck or on His on his finger he has you in his hand it actually it says we're inscribed in his hand yeah so we're looking at some uh some some more uh rules here and regulations and so uh once again the the the, the children of israel would offer a a city a peaceful surrender if you'll just peacefully surrender that'll be fine uh they'll offer that but if the children of israel attack the city all the males would die if they did not surrender peacefully that's right and, of course, the children of Israel had to completely destroy the following six groups of people. The Heatites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, the Heavites, and the Jebusites. Very interesting. You know, uh, if you look at this, this is very interesting because David was the only king that united all of the tribes. But remember, Uriah the Heatite. Huh. So David was actually able to convert his enemies over to himself. He was so great that he was able to... Uh, transfer some of these ites into Jerusalemites, you know, or uh, Israelites. So uh, once again, uh, Uriah was a Heatite. He served under David very faithfully. Of course, David had him murdered. But once again, something to think about. Very interesting. But they were to be driven from the land. And so here you have uh, another situation. Of course, the Jebusites, uh, that's where David bought the uh, threshing floor, which is the current Temple Mount today that he purchased because he wants to build the temple. 
He purchased it from the Jebusites. Very interesting. There's a transaction there. There's real estate going on yeah. there. And, uh, of course, moving on here, when God's people went against the city, uh, they should not destroy the fruit trees. Don't destroy the fruit trees. You know, when you when you go to Israel right now, there's a forestation that they're working on of bringing trees back to the land. There were some great forests in the land of Israel. There were lions. There was, especially around En Gedi and stuff, there was like these forests and different things. Uh, but the interesting thing is historically, if you go back, you know, uh, they would tax the land or tax the people based on trees. So they just cut them down. Well, I'm not going to be taxed. They just chopped them all down. That's why you see all these large swaths of land with, with no trees. But at one time, there were there were forests. There were, there were trees everywhere. And so that's what's happening right now in the land of Israel, planting trees in the land. That's what we're seeing. Wow, that's incredible. I don't. I just can't even imagine that. Like, oh, I don't want to be taxed, so I'm going to cut down all the trees. It, it, it's interesting too, Ryan, because it actually says, "Because you have disobeyed me and not kept my covenant or listened to my voice," he actually says that uh, your land will be salted. And I thought, Ooh. wow, what what a punishment, what a judgment. And I'm not sure where it's at. You can find it up if you have a strong course, whatever. I don't have time to get into all that right now. I know it's there. The Romans did it. They salted the land. You can't grow anything. Yeah. Wow, what a punishment. You're not even going to be able to grow anything, you know. So here we are. We're going to conclude with Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, and, of course, in this particular Torah portion, we go all the way, uh, let's see here, to uh, verse 9, 21 verse 9. But this is very interesting. The title of this or the subject matter of this in closing is Expiation for Innocent Blood. So there was a way to investigate the murder of a slain person found in a field. There was a way. Right. Okay. And so uh, the three groups of people that were used to absolve the crime of shedding innocent blood were, once again, the elders, judges, and priests were used to absolve the crime of shedding innocent blood. Okay. You find the slain person in the field. It's like a CSI. They're going to jump on this. This is what the Torah is telling us to do in regards to this. A heifer was used as part of the process to absolve the crime of of a slain person. A heifer was used as part of the process to absolve the crime of a slain person. Once again, there's your sacrifice, a heifer. And once again, that's a female. So the closest city to the slain body was responsible for absolving the crime of a slain person that was found in a field. The closest city. Yeah, they would actually measure. That's how they all get together and they measure. Right. And of course, the process to absolve the crime of shedding innocent blood was used to remove guilt. Hmm. It was used to remove guilt. So once again, expiation for innocent blood. Uh, how do they solve this crime? How do they how do they go about doing this? The Torah tells us right there in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Any thoughts on that, Ryan, as far as this goes? Uh, just that, um, you know, they really felt the need to, um, to, to do something to the Lord because the innocent blood has been shed, right? This person's dead in a field. And they don't right. know who it was. So, I mean, I just, I found it very interesting that they put such an emphasis on this whole process of measuring the closest one, and then they would have to provide the And it's the to sacrifice. remove guilt right. from the city or, or, or from the from the, act from the itself. community. I mean, it's from a community the act, from deal. The act itself. That's why, yeah. you know, you'll see over and over this Torah portion and the Torah portion prior to remove the evil from among you, right? To get it away from you. And so they didn't, the reason these punishments existed was to get the evil away from the community so that it wouldn't infiltrate the community. And so that's it's the same idea here. That's true. That's true. And just a reminder, just to, to go over this again, the, the book of Deuteronomy is a book of remembrance. And we have five key words found in the book of Deuteronomy. We have the word remember, the word obey, 
blessing, curse, and covenant. These are key words found. And I love the word remember, remember, you know. And so even when, when Moses is talking to the people in Deuteronomy 29, hey, I'm speaking to those that are here and those that are not here. I want you to remember this Torah, this word, amen. So chapters one through four, because this actually, this book is broken up into four parts. You know, we talked about Leviticus is broken up into two parts. Numbers is broken up into three parts or three sections. And Deuteronomy is four parts. Wow, what a neat little succession of a series of numbers there. The, the, the two, the three, and the four. So chapters one through four are remembrances of the past. Well, we're past that. <laughs> uh, chapter four, verse 44, all the way through chapter 26, we have commandments for the present. Commandments for the present, for today, okay? And then, of course, chapters 27 through 30 are options affecting the future, Ryan. Options affecting the future. And chapters 31 through 34, the fourth part of the book of Deuteronomy, parting words of Moses. So there you have it, you know. Uh, as we do these Torah portions every Monday night in, in our small groups, we, of course, uh, have a question at the end here. What two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion, Shoftim or Judges? Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18, all the way through chapter 21 and verse 9 from a consensus of the group. Ryan, what do you have? So the two things that I had were, uh, one was about boundaries. There's a law in here about not moving the uh, boundary markers of your neighbor. And I thought that was, was an important one. And then I read into that a few more things. But uh, what I came up with was that boundaries are important to set and respect. And I think that goes with real estate as well as the boundaries that we set in our lives, uh, in our relationships, and so on and so forth. That's awesome. Yep. And then the second thing I got was that um, about the uh, about the um, taking of favors and gifts uh, when you're in a prominent position. Uh, I can see this over time being hard, right? In the beginning, I think people stay vigilant. I think as people stay in public life for a long time, they get worn down and and uh, let their guard down and so on. And I, and I want to just say this. Everyone wants something. Everyone has a price, including you, including me. Uh, and I, I pray that we let that price be the Lord's word, right? The, God's word. Let, let our price be, if God said do it, do it. If God says don't do it, do it. Let that be our price and not some tangible or material thing like money or gifts or something like that. You know, one of the things I think that's that's missing in the in the earth today are heroes. Good leadership. Yeah. With integrity and character. Not perfect, but good good integrity, good character. Well, you know, I mean the two things that I got, Ryan, which which really stands out to me, if 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 I could fix two things, I would say number one, uh, have good leadership. Have good leadership. You know, that's that's what we need. You know, it says in there that God will raise up shepherds after his own heart, Ryan. And that's the cool thing about the last days. There are some shepherds that are bad. There are some bad churches and bad ministers and ministries. Absolutely. But I'm telling you, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, don't do it. Because the original model was the priesthood. The original model is the priesthood and the Torah. So the first point I have is have good leadership. Number two, I would say avoid idolatry. Boy, that's going to save you a lot of grief. Oh, yeah. So think about it. If you have good leadership and people are not having idols, I think you're going to have a good community. Yeah. And that, that's my last thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned about heroes. I think that uh, our culture, especially Western culture, that uh, we tear heroes down. You know, we look at these people that are that are actually above reproach. They don't they don't stand a chance. You know, that's why they say you know politics is a dirty game. If anybody makes it to the top, you know, they had to do some stuff. You know, and and everybody just kind of accepts that as as if it's right. You know, fact. And it's unfortunate because um, we really need good people with morals and values to look up to 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 say, hey, look, they did it. You know, we can do it as well. You know, they they made it. 
uh, to a prominent position without having to, you know, sacrifice their moral compass or something like that. So anyways, wow. What an awesome tour portion show of team. Uh, bless you guys. If you guys want to reach out to me, you can reach me at uh, Ryan at twopraise.net. That's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at twopraise.net. As always, you guys can live stream our services every uh, Shabbat, every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget, uh, September 9th, that's our Monday night service. We're not going to be having our normal uh, small group tour study. We're going to be having a special guest, Doron Kadar, from the Land of Israel. Uh, from Cry for Zion Ministries, uh, and that'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we most likely will live stream that. If we don't, we'll we'll let you guys. And know. Uh, just another reminder that we are in the season of Teshuvah. Oh yeah, which begins at Lulul One to Tishri Ten. Just so you understand, uh, once again, the season of repentance, the season of returning. And so here's here's the question: How are you returning? Yeah, you know, it means to recover, to revive. That the word shub. It says that there will be a people that will return back to me in the last days. That's right. And they're Jews and non-Jews, and that's what's happening. Jews and non-Jews are returning back to the Lord. And so it's very personal, it's, it's precise, it's good, and that's what's happening at Beitita. So let me encourage you, for those of you listening to the podcast, you are part of God's plan. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, you know, in the name of the Lord, as you're moving forward, He's going to come and get you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. Just think about that, you know. And going back to the Daniel fast, once again, it's in regards to uh, the Israelites of the children of Israel uh, being restored and also the holy city of Yerushalayim being rebuilt and complete. So that's why we do the Daniel fast and also to loose the bands or bonds of wickedness. That's right. So this can only come out through fasting and prayer. Yeshua makes mention of this when the disciples could not cast out an evil spirit from a young person. How many of our young people are being tormented and there's demons and there's demon possession and they're cutting themselves and doing things, you know, and, and there's suicide. So once again, you know, we can, we need to tell the youth that they are a promise. The promises are to us and our children's children, that they have the promises of God, which is epigelia in the Greek, a divine assurance of good for our youth and our young people. Amen. Amen. What a good word. Awesome. Well, bless you guys. Uh, we love you. I mentioned already uh, how you guys can reach out to us. If you uh, want the Teshuvah journal that we have, um, you can do it on your own, or, or we can actually send you a PowerPoint um, with the slides and the, 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 the lesson about Teshuvah. Uh, and you can also go onto our YouTube page uh, uh, and see the, the archive of the Teshuvah teaching, so you kind of get an understanding uh, of that, but just, I mean, I've been journaling up with the Lord every morning, uh, every day this, uh, since we started, it's what, this is day three, day four, well, really day four, if we counted the, the, uh, the of 30 date, but, um, bless you guys. Uh, if you guys need anything, reach out to us. Have a great week.